Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is your host, Mr. Maddie Treats, and we're here discussing In Your House 6, Rage in the Cage, but I can't do it alone. No, sir. No man is an island. And in these quarantine times, I have to look through the digital uh, screens or whatever. Yeah, screens. Look at the beautiful face of my co-hosts. So let's talk with the educator of excellence mr mccarthy how are you this fine evening treats how we doing sir looking forward to another uh afternoon early evening reminiscing on uh wrestling from the past about 25 years ago in your house six rage in the cage not to be confused with the sega cd game rage in the cage but rage in the cage one of the uh last in your house pay-per-views or the last one that they ended up adding a number to it after this they ended up having little subtitle names for each of the future in your house pay-per-views uh as opposed to numbering them so looking forward to uh chit chat with you guys today and getting your take on some of the matches from this card yeah how are you doing with your your quarantine are you still holding up okay still holding up okay doing a your about every nine or ten day run to the the big city (laughs) upstate to get food and other supplies but uh so far, things are going okay. Yeah, you're bunk- you look like you're, you look like you're bunkered down. You're covered in a in a snuggie. You're good to go. Oh, we're solid. We're ready to go for today. <laughs> ready to go. Well, of course, we cannot uh, do this without our our third man. Um, let's talk to Mabel. No, he's not the third man. Our third man is the masked library, Mister Kevin Hellions. Mister Hellions, how are you? I'm doing all right. You sound so guys. sad. Are you okay? No. You know, um, much much like the educator said, it is not about Sega CD. Game is also not about Smashing Pumpkins. And despite all of our rage, we are still not rats in the cage. I always thought it was, despite all my rage, I'm still not just ready to cage. I don't know why. <laughs> nope. No. Nope. Uh, Billy Corgan, owner of NWA, you don't know his lyrics. Isn't that crazy, though, um, that he is the owner of the NWA? Just for a second. Like, what world, what simulation are we in? If you said in the 90s, hey, a lead singer of one of the bands you listen to is going to end up owning a wrestling company in 20 years, Billy Corgan would not have been my pick. Who who would have been your pick? I didn't die. Mark McGrath. <laughs> Mark Sugar, Mark Mark Sugar Ray. Sugar, Sugar Ray, baby. <laughs> what do you think he would call him? What would be the name of his of his uh, his organization, if you will? Uh, I just want high flyers. I just want high flyers <laughs> in the sky, in the sky. Just count the three, baby. Every match has a 15-minute time limit. Or 14.59. 14.59. I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, just put me out of my misery right now. <laughs> you know what's funny? You put me out of my misery. 
But the beginning of In Your House 6, Rage in the Cage, brings me back to life because we are talking about viewer discretion being advised with the beautiful Sonny. Oh, my God. I, um, this 15 seconds defined my teen years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Without I a doubt. I mean, geez, Louise, what happened to Sonny? <laughs> um, I, I can send you links. Uh, okay. But, I mean, the most popular, attractive woman on the planet, or so AOL told us. Well, yeah, most downloaded, right? Yep. To a joke. And it's sad. And, uh, I mean, drug, stress, fame who she surrounded herself with maybe that she had problems all along maybe being you know 18 19 years old naive and thrown into the world of wrestling because of who your boyfriend is i don't know like pick one thing (laughs) all of it screwed her up now question for you i go to uh you know i go to wrestlemania weekends i go to wrestlecon stuff like that now just say kevin that i met sunny uh you know at the bar hotel lobby maddie treats walks up says hey what's going on girl how you doing um and i play it smooth play it cool how do you think that night ends oh i I think it ends with you with pictures of you ending up on her phone like dolph ziggler did (laughs) you know i just it doesn't end well what would you say kevin (laughs) If I come back with a, I, I, with a with a with a Death Valley Driver sleaze thread story of myself and Sonny from one night, what would you uh, what would you think? Now, just remember, she's grandfathered in. So, when you tell people, <laughs> "Oh, I spent the night with Sonny," they don't know it's 2020, Sonny. They don't know it's 2021, Sonny. They automatically think it's 1996, Sonny, which makes me 11. I mean, this this was your logic for uh, when there was a certain indie wrestler that you had to think for. And you're like, look look at me. She's around all these hot, good-looking, muscular guys all day. She's probably sick of seeing like, guys like that. She wants someone doughy like here's me. My, here, here's why. Here's my theory. Here's my theory. Look, you can eat steaks every night, right? You can have steaks every night. But eventually, you want a McDouble. That's all I'm saying. You crave a McDouble. Your body needs it. It's like if you're eating the best, like, oh, we're going to get this um, this wood wood fire pizza. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. You know, sometimes you just want some Domino's. You some, need some Papatinos, you, you know, some, come on. Some little, <laughs> you need some little sleezers. So let's get on with it. I mean, uh, I mean your, your, your logic is flawed, though. If she's worried, if, if you think she's sick of seeing the 10, 20 muscular guys that are on the card, all she has to do is look no further than the front row to see the exact opposite of that. Much right. less the second, third, fourth, and so on rows. Yeah, that's why they call me the ring mat of the group. So I'm the ring mat. So anyway, <laughs> let's, let's get started with Rage in the Cage live from Louisville, Kentucky at the Louisville Gardens. Uh, I think it's the home of Muhammad Ali. I think that's what Vince said when we came in. Uh, attendance was over 5,000. 5,500 is what it says. Um, obviously, there's some rounding there. We're greeted with Vince and the King, and we get right into the first match. Um, of course, b- before that, I'm I'm sorry. I totally forgot about this great video package bringing us in. Uh, oh, my gosh. Into, so and, good. And also, too, what about the uh, In Your House logo getting run over by a car? Run over by the car, yeah. <laughs> Taken out. Drive by. 
It's crazy. But Kevin, what a great um, what a great video package to really sum up what the pay per view is going to be, huh? Yeah, and I mean, it's like some, you know, we've we've discussed. It'd be fun to watch Superstars Raw, all the pay per views, but I mean, that there's just so much to watch, all available on the WWE Network. But you, the smart thing is to focus on just watching that in your house, as we still have you know other things to do. But what a great couple minutes there of I'm all caught up on everything going on in this pay-per-view and I'm ready to enjoy it. Like, I wish every pay-per-view from every company would do it. They just don't for who knows why. But I was like, all right, I'm up to speed. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. I'm, I'm ready to enjoy the day. Let me get some snacks and let's go. Now, let me let me ask you guys, were you guys, um, I thought this, this video package was a little shocking to me because of the amount of storyline that takes place on Superstars. Was that something that generally happened? I know Raw's going at this point. I mean, were they really using superstars like a, a like their second show, like a SmackDown, where not the main storylines, but really the second um, the second tier storylines were proceeding? Oh yeah, they were absolutely still using superstars as a platform to further storylines along. I mean, Raw was still only a one hour uh show i don't think they had completely transitioned yet to a two-hour program at this point we were in early 96 um so i think we were still we're still taping Roz. uh we're doing a live show and then we're taping either the next one or two shows from that same venue at this point so uh superstars was still a very very viable uh, show where they were using it further along storylines and so on. Not only did they 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 use uh, vignettes and stuff from superstars in the promo package, but even in our first match, we we get a little bit of a background between Razor and the One Two Three Kid uh, stuff that had happened between storylines on uh, ha- not house shows, but on 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 Saturday superstars or Sunday superstars, depending on where it played. So, and this is actually something I miss a lot in, in my modern wrestling today. We just go to pay-per-view matches and they don't really do too well of a storyline buildup or reminding fans what has transpired between the competitors and the match. What was the story building up towards it? It's kind of a, all right, here's the interview. Well, or we're going to go ahead and start the match. Do you think it's odd that they have all this time in the world now to produce the television. And it seems like we get less storylines. I mean, what do you, what do you think the cause of that is? I I think a lot of stuff right now is let's just get through it. Yeah. It's not. And and honestly, stuff could change any time in, in any state, any job, any, anything right now. And I think that that's part of it is, why are we? Why would we tape all this stuff, this crazy storyline that we then have to edit and do all this with, and then find out next week we can go back to live audiences? So I don't think they're going to put the time into it. And to go back to Superstars versus Raw, I mean, this happened before. Raw was a thing with primetime wrestling and uh, Tuesday Night Titans where you had storylines on both. But we right. need to remember, this is just 90, 96. Um, yep. There were still plenty of people that didn't have cable. And wrestling, you know, here's one of the things we don't always like to admit, but wrestling does attract lower income a lot. And I don't mean that negative way, but it does. And a lot of people were watching wrestling for from network TV, which was what a lot of superstars was on on Saturday afternoons. So that's the way to still reach your audience. 
that maybe couldn't afford cable at the time and then still get them to the show because raw would never have you know this sunday at the civic center commercials but superstars did yeah the, the syndication of it i i guess would be yeah Right. The the main focus on it. But let's get right into the, this first match, which is, of course, Razor Ramon taking on the one, two, three kid with Ted DiBiase in the first and I believe only ever crybaby <laughs> match. Uh, what do you guys think of this match? Uh, was it what you remember? The match didn't really age too well, to be honest with you. And, and at least uh, with my second look through the nostalgia goggles, uh, looking at these. Um, beginning of the match, I thought it was awkward, different, maybe, you know, with him coming out with DiBiase and him kind of like being one of the main guys in the corporation. I thought maybe he would come out to the corporation music or DiBiase's theme music, but coming out to the one, two, three kid old face music that he had, it just seemed very, very weird. I don't know if it was me. I don't know if any, either of you gentlemen noticed this. To me, Sean Waltman looked like super thin, very lanky. Maybe, I mean, I guess I'm so used to, I guess, him in his later years um, as X-Pac and so on. But he just looked exceptionally emaciated, very, very thin, super lanky, but still very smooth with his maneuvers uh, throughout the match itself. Um, noticing he's slipping in uh, his hand gestures to pop a few of his buddies in the back uh, with the click. He did a roundhouse kick to uh, to Razor, and he did the double too sweet sign to the crowd, and then he actually did a slight crotch chop uh, to to uh, to the crowd as well during one of his move sets. Um, the extended repetitive sleeper holds that Waltman was using throughout the match, the one two three kid was using throughout the match. It just, it was hard to buy into this being a competitive match. The significant difference in size between Razor Ramon, who was a very, very thick, jacked individual versus little itty-bitty Waltman here. It's just the, the sleeper holds themselves, they just, the rest holds, they just, it didn't hold up too, too well whatsoever. Um I, I thought it was impressive with Razor doing the uh, fallaway slam off of the second rope, uh, and uh, in the finish in the match with the two sets of Razor's edges. Uh, the first one, and then Razor goes for the pin attempt and yanks Waltman's head up off the mat. Kind of an old school heel maneuver, but more or less, you know, storyline wanting to teach Waltman the one, two, three kid a lesson, and then doing a second Razor's edge uh, to get the win. Um, to me, the, the match for, for the, the gimmicky crybaby match, diaper match, whatever, it just didn't age well looking back at it 25, from 25 years ago. So what do you think the mindset was? You have a 12-minute match, okay? And 25% of your match is a sleeper hold because yeah. that sleeper hold sequence went for two minutes and 40 seconds. So round right. it up to, to three minutes. Um, you know, 25, do you think that was a rib with what they were doing? Because later in the evening, there is a long Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart side headlock, uh, yeah. which goes for almost two minutes itself. Um, do you think they were having a contest? About I think they were pop, trying to pop each other in the back to see who could get slip something in there to be just a, as more obnoxious or, you know, just the behind the scenes barb at each other just to see who could get, get their stuff in more. Yeah, just yeah. 
buddies. It just seemed odd to me. Um, one thing I did love about the um, one, two, three kids offense. I love his quick leg drops. Those things yeah. look brutal. I mean, they, they really do. Um, so Kevin, what do you, what do you have to add about this match? Uh, one, how have none of us discussed the razor teddy bear yet? <laughs> yes, yes. The, the razor, razor teddy bear. bear that gets thrown, and then the kids in the front row fight over it, and then fight hang over to trying it. to get it right. Hangs on to it for the rest of the event. <laughs> that teddy bear. Oh, so great. Yep. Um, kid is fantastic. Like such a great worker, and you're right about how he looked. And I believe he had some issues already, and he ends up, you know, going to WCW and then WO uh, later this year, I believe. Um, so, you know, stuff's already happening behind the scenes. I absolutely think you're both right that, uh, throughout the night, people are trying to get each other going and, you know, pop the boys. I'm all for that. I'm all for wrestlers just trying to have a good time and get each other going and all. I don't like it when the bookers and writers do it. I, the more I'm researching stuff for other things. I have huge issues with Russo, huge issues looking back. Uh, when he was in WWE and had editor in Vince, better. When he was left on his own WCW, I think he's trash. And I think he did a lot to ruin overall wrestling. But that's a story for another day. Is, is um, Russo at this point at the helm yet? Is he, Or is he still just a magazine editor and writer? He's. I think he's on the writing crew at this point. Just okay. consider you know, the, the lack of cartoony angles and stuff like that. I believe he's on the crew at this point, but I don't think he has the the level that he gets later on the ending not even the ending but leading up to the ending is complicated booking and everyone getting to be where they're supposed to be between razor kid the referee and dibiase but man it's well done it's such a great little sequence and and comedy but nah really well done the issue is the ending when kid gets the diaper and the bottle and the baby powder and everything it's so I don't want to say disrespectful. He's the heel he's supposed to be, but it just kills the character. It's yeah. Su- it's such a, a slap. And it's, um, so any listeners that don't realize I'm also really into comics too. And I think that there's a, the Venn diagram of comics and wrestling overlaps a lot. So for you too, cause you're not into comics that much. Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man, bad guy, kind of fat. It's got his arms and all, you know, not really taken seriously. So one writer's like, let me take him seriously. And he gave he had the armor upgraded and all the uh, extra appendages were adamantium. So unbreakable. How Spider-Man get out uh, of this? Using his, you know, he's Dr. Octopus. He's got some science knowledge and all. Really upped him as a villain and made him look great. And the next one's like, yeah, I don't... Or the next writer's like, yeah, but I don't like that. And just dumped everything. So you... He spent like months in issues building up this person to be a new a good bad guy again and then the very next writer is like throws it all out the window kid looking like a good villain a good bad guy can have good matches with anyone and now he's just trashed by the end of this match he's just like damaged goods by the end of this how do you come back from i was in the middle of the ring with a diaper on turn a temper tantrum but but kevin how do you I mean, do you obviously Vince loved it because he was going nuts on commentary for it, talking about how, oh, look at kid throw a loaded diaper into the crowd. I mean, just just going. I mean, he's he's just doing play by play for it. He's going crazy for it. Right. But it's known that Vince likes your, you know, your sophomore jokes and all. Um, 
look at look at the main event movie and you can see some of that still to this day that he you know enjoys but kid had to leave go to wcw for years and come back before he ever got to be taken seriously again he had to reinvent himself and yeah probably if he stayed he would have he probably if he stayed he would have been released because they would have been like well what are we gonna do with you we threw a diaper on you you want you want the intercontinental title you want to no no we're not gonna give a title to someone who had a diaper on him that's ridiculous so you leave and you come back so how come this match didn't end when uh the baby powder was introduced because the refs saw it twice so i mean it, the the refs in the first two matches the one time he tried to pretend he didn't see it yeah the the refs in these these first matches um, they don't do themselves any favors with anything. No, next match in particular. No. That's, next we'll, match, no. we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to add about the crybaby match? Um, I just remember it obviously as a kid loving it and then watching it. Like, I mean, it's it's not a good match in my opinion. I mean, that sleeper hold takes you right out of it. Right out of it. And and when when kid gets on Razor's back, it makes a lot more sense for a smaller person to have a larger person in that hold. And then Razor drops to his knee, and now he's got the leverage. But when they're standing, I'm like, why? It's like your kid playing with you. It doesn't make any sense. Now, once again, though, I mean, this is two pay-per-views in a row. Or Remember, when, no, th- yeah, when Dean Douglas took on Razor, and he's trying to do the stretch, and Razor's just too tall, and now they're trying to do the um, the standing uh, sleeper. Sleeper, right. Uh, it means Razor should be a heel. Right. He shouldn't be working face. That's what all this is looking at is, is why I get you get popular. You become the cool heel and then you got to turn him face. But Scott Hall's always been better when he's been clean. He's always been better as a heel. Yeah. And he's just got that. He's got that look, too. He's got that heel look. Oh, he him. absolutely does. So moving on, let's talk about the hotline, the one nine hundred hotline. How much money do you think they, they were making from this? I mean, were they making they must have been making bank. They had to. Oh, that's why I do it. Why continue to do it? Yeah. Right. I'll guarantee you there are people on the line the entire two hours. I'll guarantee there's some fans that stay on the whole time. What do you guys think of Jake the Snake chasing the very beautiful my my soon to uh, my soon to be dream girl Sunny <laughs> with a uh, with a snake? It's a it's the first time she's had a big snake in her face. It's clearly it's clear she was scared and surprised by it. Had no idea how to handle this. And, and freaked out like like the innocent, naive uh, angel that she is. Now, question: Twenty five years later, does she know how to handle being around a anaconda? Uh, I mean, she would have to not be incarcerated, but maybe. All right. Well, check her out on Skype. So, anyways, uh, moving <laughs> on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Triple H versus Triple D, <laughs> Duke the Dumpster Drossy. Um Triple H walking out with Miss Elizabeth Hilden. Uh, Hilden, not Hilton, which is what I initially searched for. Hilden. Hilden, who turned out to be a penthouse playmate of the year in 97. So she had to hit you're, her peak just you're confusing yet. Your, you're confusing your brand, sir. What kind of male are you? What? She was a penthouse pet. Was Playboy has playmates. You know, you said she was a penthouse playmate. No, whatever. That's confusing your brands. That's like saying that you have a Coke Pepsi. <laughs> Jeez, Kevin. Settle down. <laughs> She's Louise going after me for uh, my, I don't know. All I remember about uh, adult magazines is you'd find them in the woods growing up. So I don't know. So, why is that? Why would, 
<laughs> he's in the woods. No, no, you are not. We okay, Sam. Think is we are not getting even be the first podcast to mention this within the last year. No, it's probably been on every <laughs> podcast. It's just and and you know, like we we talk about things that go away, like you know, kids aren't kids aren't going to discover this, and they're not going to discover that, and all. Uh, no, no kids are going to go into the woods and find someone's old hard drive. <laughs> yeah, I know. How sad is that? <laughs> I really feel for the youth of today not to know that thrill. So, let's, just, let's just move on. Uh, another one thing before we start this match, I just want to say hello to all the USWA fans in the world. So. Right. So, Mr. Educator, why don't you move us on to some sort of normalcy here? What did you think of the Triple H versus Triple D match? I actually completely forgot about the angle going into this match. Um, I remember watching the WrestleMania 17 gimmick battle Royal a few years later when Duke the dumpster Josie was in it, when he came out with a short hair, I, I never remembered short hair Duke the dumpster Josie. So uh, again, they're reminding us WWF is doing a great job reminding us of some stuff that happened in the previous weeks and with superstars and so on and the haircut angle that actually happened. Drosty comes to the ring and uh, one of Vince's old phrases, a house of fire. I mean, he, he was motivated and he was working to go. Um, did a huge press slam on the Triple H, hit him with a big boot. Um, one of the things that I also don't remember about Drosy. And, and a lot of it has to do with the gear that his gimmick caused him to be in. I didn't realize, at least to me and how I saw him, how in shape Drossy really was. Mm -hmm. I always thought that like he had the baggy coveralls because he was just a bigger, thicker guy. And they were trying to, to uh, hide uh, his body type. But we ended up taking off like the covering shirt. And he ended up having kind of like a more of a singlet-like wife beater top on he i mean he wasn't like you know jack to the gills or anything but he was quite lean and quite uh and quite um much thinner than i remember him being in so i, I the thing that i saw and i connected him to was remember carlito's side guy that he had going on jesus the bodyguard yeah. And how that tall guy, he had the big suspender pants. His body type and body frame reminded me of Jesus and that short um, feud Jesus had with John Cena. I mean, Drosy when was... When he stabbed him? When he stabbed John Cena? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but just the body type itself. It just He was a bigger guy. Um, Drosy's finishing maneuver, I completely forgot what the uh, the trash compactor finisher was, throwing the guy against the ropes, picking him up for a side suplex, but then flipping him over and then doing basically almost like a tilt-a-whirl power slam. That's actually a pretty complicated maneuver to do. And the fact he did it really, really well on Triple H um, was uh, a really good finish. Josie during the match channeled his inner Arn Anderson and hit that twisting spine buster uh, maneuver. And actually, it looked pretty decent. Maybe that's kind of where... Uh, uh, Hunter's Helmsley ended up deciding to pick that up further along down the road in his move set. I mean, we're we're a minute or uh, a month out from what would be Triple H's match against Warrior at WrestleMania, and it's been said that that it was that WrestleMania match that made him realize that he needed to reestablish himself in his character and, and start to change things up. Um, but 
the uh, <laughs> the thing that doesn't do this match any favors is the the spot, the finish, the referee, and, and Mike Kyoto. Oh, how do you not? Oh, poor Mike Kyoto. Just the 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 whole idea of okay, Drosy hits the trash compact, your power slam. Rather than going for the finish, for whatever reason, he decides to go out in the ring, get the garbage can, bring both the garbage can and the garbage can lid into the ring. And Kyoto ends up wrestling away the the garbage can away from Drosy, but the lid Triple H gets a hold of the lid, absolutely clocks Drosy. I mean that thing was like a gunshot that that actual swipe, and in the process he ends up throwing the lid, and it lands quite literally in front of Kyoto. While Kyoto is turned around facing Triple H, how Kyoto cannot see this garbage can lid and not see Triple H throw this lid out of the ring after, it, unfortunately, it just completely killed the match. And it, I guess it's just an unfortunate blown spot. The ref, had he just stayed his back, you know, maybe two more seconds, it wouldn't have been as bad. But... The referee just absolutely killed the the finish to this match. Yeah, and especially coming after just seeing the um, the baby powder and uh, Tim White struggling to see clouds of baby powder as soon as they're thrown <laughs> into the face of uh, Razor or a DiBiase or whoever's uh, you know just a just a rough start to the night for the referees. Uh, Mister Library, what do you what did you think of this one? It, Duke better than I remembered. Yeah, absolutely better than I remembered. Not not great. I'm not putting you know titles on him, but a lot better than I remembered. Perfectly serviceable. You know, could have had a longer run. Um, it from uh, what I was reading, it looks like when he was in the Indies, his gimmick was the Garbage Man. He came up with that gimmick, and then Vince, you know, turned the name into something he could own and trademark and everything, but continued with the gimmick. And it really looks like he got so far, he started getting beat up. He started not liking the grind. He said, hey, I'm out and parted on good terms with everyone. But he just kind of reached it. And and it got me thinking, you know, like, it, every wrestler says, if you're not in this to win the world title, then I don't know why you're here. It's everyone's, you know, dream. Yes, it is. You know what? It's The three of us would love to be world champ, too. It's just not going to happen. But I bet you the Usos are pretty happy with where they are. Going down is probably like the the best tag team if not tied for first of a decade right you know like they gotta be happy with it someone like duke's probably like you know i made it to wwf i had a good run i wrestled a lot of people i went around the world i'm cool on to the next thing in life like just because you arrive somewhere doesn't mean you've got to put 20 25 30 years into it you could just be like yep i did that that's off my bucket list in life i feel successful and accomplished i'm good i'm ready to move on to next thing and i i think in that respect he did you know, like I, I have more respect for him just from this match and what I looked up and all. It's like he just seems like a good dude. Good for him. He got right. a run. He had some fun. You know, he had a joke of a gimmick, but, you know, I, I got respect for him. You're both right, though. That ending's garbage and that trash can hit is nasty. Did you, did you meant to say that ending is garbage? I didn't, but I did now. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, yeah, Duke the Dumpstrosi did go on to, uh, I think he's a, Went on to be a teacher and then got a, did get in trouble with the law, though. So, 
Yes, we did. Yeah, so anyways, moving on, though. Um, why don't we go to always my favorite segments of the whole pay-per-view. I'm a little disappointed, though. No Leather Daddy. Instead, <laughs> we get Todd Pettengale talking about the WWF store. Um, at this point, um, was, was there a store that was in, like, Titan Towers that people could go to? Do you guys remember, or is this just... No, you haven't seen the merch room on... Uh, who, who the heck has that? Um either like a major wrestling figure or maybe like um when they're showing people uh go to hang out for the bump right now or i think the last time i saw i think on uh johnny gargano and uh candace larray at titan towers is uh on it um they uh johnny gargano has been with nxt for years now has never been to titan towers so candace larray his wife set it up for him to go for his birthday i remember yep visit it they go into this room i'm pretty sure it's the same room and it's pretty much like all the merchandise we got is in this room. And if you're a talent and you just want something, you can have it. So you just go in, you go, okay, cool. I want these DVDs and these shirts and these toys. And they're like, all right, take them. And I'm pretty sure it's the same room. Um, treats, though, I'm wondering, uh, what is and what is not the featured item? Yeah. yeah. So, that's... <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen. Cue the music. I got to figure out Todd Pettengale music. I don't know what it should be. I mean, maybe it'll just be like yakety sax or something. I don't know. Uh, so, so anyways, uh, Todd Pettengale comes out to talk about uh, to talk about our item of the day. The item of the day, by the way, is a one-size-fits-all sweatshirt. No, you don't get the model Wendy. You get the one-size-fits-all sweatshirt. <laughs> Wendy's by the way, not the featured item. Yeah, Wendy's not the featured item. The sweatshirt is one-size-fits-all, but it's about an extra large. Just so everyone's aware. <laughs> But we've upped our game because it's not just one person. Uh, we have four to choose from, and they are all over print. We have The Undertaker. We have Shawn Michaels. Uh, we have Bret Hart. And, of course, we have Diesel. But wait, there's more. Say if you have a little one in your in your house, right, and they want to partake in this one. And you know what? One size fits all might be a little too big for them. We actually have youth sizes now. But the good thing about the youth sizes is it's not a one size fits all. We have three different youth sizes. So we have small, <laughs> medium, and large. Like, what is going on? What is... <laughs> Call. Uh, the prices are $29.99 and the $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Uh, yeah, so one very disappointed that Doc Hendricks is gone from this, and they 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 they're going with Todd Pettengale. But at least they got like such random. I don't get what's going on with the sizes. What did you guys think of Wendy during this segment? <laughs> <laughs> Surprised it wasn't Stephanie or Shane. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. They're too. Uh, getting in some spots here. Not yet. Uh, so why don't we move on from Todd Pettengale to the Leather Daddy, Doc Hendricks. Doc's hosting uh, Yokozuna, who is now turned face. And it turns out, guys, he can speak perfect English. Uh, I just remember this as being like, wow. You know, we're so used to him screaming bonsai at the top of his lungs and Fuji talking for him during his initial first debut part of the run. And then Jim Cornette. And now all of a sudden, you know, Doc Hendricks is hyping the mighty Yokozuna and we're going to hear him speak for the first time. And, and Yokozuna cuts a promo, speaks perfectly fine English. But the the one thing that just stands out for me when Doc was like, hey, we're going to hear from the mighty massive 640 pound Yokozuna and Yokozuna walks in and Doc Hendricks towers over Yokozuna. I'm like, when was Michael Hayes that big? Like, you don't think of Michael Hayes 
as being that big of a professional wrestler. And in our mind, we have always remembered Yokozuna as being like this monstrous giant, this beast, obviously because of his girth, his weight. But, man, just <laughs> the interviewer being taller than the, the, the wrestler in that segment. I mean, they could have at least had Yoko standing up on something or Doc's, Doc crouching down. It's just, it just, unfortunately, everything that he spewed out, it just... It, it got lost in translation being the smaller guy in the interview segment. It really did. I also think, too, that it stands out more just because of the way they film, where the camera is, like, low to in front, so it's filming up at them rather right. than just being kind of eye level. Uh, Kevin, anything stick out from this quick interview? Because, like, other Yokozuna interviews, you'd usually have him up front, and his his mask is covering up Cornette or Fuji or Owen or the interviewer or whoever because he's up front. But you do that camera trick, he looks taller as well. Not only does he look more massive, he's blocking out our view of you know three, four other people, but he looks taller there too. Um, the other thing is for us growing up watching this, uh, it you know internet in its infancy, we didn't have a lot of the information, so we didn't know. As far as we know, Yokozuna is just a, a former Samoan or uh, sorry, former sumo wrestler from Japan. That's all we know. Right. Knowing his family now and his lineage and hearing this, could he sound more Samoan? Like, how did we miss this? Right. He absolutely sounds like generations of Samoan wrestlers on the mic. I'm not saying that in a negative way by any means, but it's just how did we not hear that promo and go, oh, I know who your family is. I know right now who you're related to just from this promo. Right. Yeah. So this this leads to the Yokozuna Bulldog match. Uh, to kick us off, Bulldog, no entrance, because his entrance is taking place during this interview. <laughs> so uh, uh, what did you think of the uh, match, uh, Mr. Educator? Well, for the last few shows, we've been talking, unfortunately, about the downfall, the weight issues of Yokozuna and so on. And it was almost, unfortunately, like a running joke about the constant rest holds, the nerve holds and so on. Um while we didn't see any rest holds or nerve holds in this match, the shortened match is just further proof that his health is continuously deteriorating, that he cannot go very, very long. Uh, proof of why he was in a tag team with Owen Hart so that tag in and out, Owen can be the worker and so on. I mean, Yoko looked fired up you know during his entrance to the ring it wasn't his casual slow walk to the ring i mean he was he certainly wasn't running down to the ring or anything but he was moving with purpose he looked motivated he was moving in the ring hard for the first few minutes that samoan drop where he you know feels the guy against the ropes throws him up into the air catches him and then throws him right back on his shoulders and falls backwards looked amazing uh, the the belly to belly suplex that you know the capture belly to belly and the twist to the side and go down hard right on top bulldog sold it amazing um, they ended up on the outside of the ring and my very first thought was after the Yoko ended up doing the the corner post and being rammed in or running himself into the post trying to squash bulldog and smacking his head on the corner uh, was how's he going to get back into the ring before a 10 count? And somehow he got up on the apron and rolled over the top rope back into the ring. Um, but I mean the it, the match itself, the length was, was proof that, you know, unfortunately Yokozuna's time in WWF 
wasn't going to be going on too too much longer. I mean, after this, he ended up being a part of Six Mans, and then we saw a last singles run with uh, a, a Shawn Michaels match after uh, a SummerSlam '96, uh, and I think that was the last that we saw of Yokozuna. But unfortunately, the DQ finish. Uh, love Cornette. Always love Cornette. Get, making the most of his time on camera. Smacking Yokozuna a few times with a tennis racket. And Yokozuna just staring at him, looking at him as if nothing happened. But then the end of the match, brawl with the extra run-in. And then Cornette getting his additional shots with the tennis rackets. It sounded like, again, shotguns going off. Um, trying to set up a WrestleMania feud that ended up not happening or turning out the way it was supposed to. So just, um, you know, the match was what it was. Uh, Bulldog, who, in my opinion, was probably having the most amazing year of his career from his heel turn, uh, having fantastic matches with Diesel, with Bret Hart, uh, and so on, kind of was just in this filler spot with, you know, doing the, the, you know, doing the work of the plummeting uh, Camp Cornette or the imploding Camp Cornette. And because Owen Hart already had a match with Shawn Michaels later on the night. So it was kind of like, oh, all right, Owen, or Bulldog, we need you to fill in here and get the best you can out of Yoko. And we got about a good four or five minute match out of it. Maybe the best Yoko work that we've seen. And yeah, during his initial entrance into WWF and going up to his title reign better. But for what we've seen for the In Your House and the, and the larger Yokozuna, Probably his best. Like you said, um, I think he had a fire for him. Not that he was in a lot better shape, but it was like he had a he had a drive. He had something to prove. He had, some, you know, a, a mission. I don't know, something. But just like, I, I, I wrote down as I was watching, like, where's this Yokozuna been? Like, I, I want to see this guy. I would have liked to have been seeing this guy for the last, you know, year of pay-per-views here. Um, I don't... Uh, that your big monster wrestler hurt himself on the ring post. And that gives your smaller guy an opening is overdone. I think at this point, it makes sense. I get it. I get why that spot works. It makes logical sense too, but I wish there was something else they could come up with to, you know, slow down your bigger opponent. Um, the DQ, probably the best of, out of all the options. Yeah. If this Yokozuna continues to have a fire and become what he was before, then you want that Yokozuna to keep looking strong. It's not what happened, but in the moment of when this when this event happened, you would want that guy to keep looking strong. You definitely want Bulldog to keep looking strong because of the run he's on. So DQ is probably the best option uh, out of all the ideas. Like I, I was, I was satisfied with the match for what it was. It, it's a fight. It looks like it's going somewhere. I mean, you know, no, we know years later what happened, but in this moment, it looked good. It looked like it was setting stuff up. Both guys looked good. I was happy with the match, and and then this cluster of an ending. <laughs> I, I don't know, treats, if you were going to review what happened here. Or... No, you can go. You can go right ahead. I know Vader comes out. Uh, the, hand, okay. so, the handcuff Yoko, you go ahead, take it over. So, so the DQ happens, and then Cornette and Bulldog are ganging up on Yoko. Yoko's fighting back. Crowd is pointing. You know someone's coming down because you see the crowd all pointing to the entrance way. Vader comes out in his 
in a, a leather jacket, which I guess he borrowed from Razor and Marty Gennetti after the last in your house, puts it on and has his gear under and his mask, and he's attacking Yoko as well. Now, Vader just came in at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, correct? That was his WWF debut, because I remember on a Raw of Vince McMahon, like, this man's coming for the Rumble, and they played a Vader promo. So he's only been there a short time. He's already, I would say, fighting against Yoko and getting into this Cornette thing, which you could easily go from a, a Camp Cornette into a Shawn Michaels and D- or Diesel feud again. It's it's a good place to put Vader. I get it. I understand. And Vader and WCW NWA had hardly raced nearly the entire time, so it makes sense for him to have a heel manager that's familiar with the business, which would be Cornette. So they're all being down on Yoko. No one comes out to help him, which was a little surprising. I know he's just turned face, but a lot of people have just turned face and still had people come out to help them out. No one does. So then I was like, this could have been used as something like Yokozuna's attacked so many wrestlers. He's he's a man unto himself. He has no friends because of all the damage they did, even though he's a good guy now. Like, he could have done something more with that. Or Vader's... Vader's intimidated the entire WWF locker room. No one wants to come out and step to Vader. Like I, I felt like just some words from either announcer could have built this up even more and made someone look more interesting in it. Um, it and you know, I was even thinking if this beatdown happened before the Rumble. I mean, it made sense to debut Vader at the Rumble. But let's say this beatdown happened in your house before, and it was like. No one's coming out because they hope Vader and Yokozuna take each other out and then neither in the rumble and that's less competition. Could have been an interesting take on it. Um, Vader's mask already comes off. Came off constantly. I did not see the point of him having a mask in his entire WWF career. Yeah, I, I get he comes down. Um, he's in his wrestling gear, but he has a jacket on with his mask on and he's fighting with, you know, he's doing the, the, the whole handcuff beating on Yokozuna, somehow in everything, his mask comes off, you see it laying in the ring, and then it ends up, he puts it back on, continues to attack Yokozuna again, and then you can see the point where Yoko smacks him once in the face, and the mask flies off again. It's like he didn't even have the mask on the right way, and it's just on, off, on, off. Yeah, it's just the mask was pointless. His whole gear, though, too, like... Remember when Vader and Kane had a mask versus mask match and we're all like, Vader's mask falls off every other day. Right. Like, what does this matter? <laughs> um, Vader also in the leather jacket, which I'm like, why the hell is he even wearing leather jacket? Oh, because he has to pull handcuffs out because they're going to handcuff Yokozuna through the ropes. All right. Jim Cornette's there in a suit, which has pockets in it. And Clarence Mason runs out for this whole cluster thing, too, in a suit, which has pockets in it. Vader's not the one that needed pockets. Any one of them could have just taken... You know, handcuffs out of the pocket and handed it to him. He didn't need to, like, keep his, his winter jacket on him in the ring. What did you guys think of Vader's uh, University of Colorado t-shirt that he was wearing? Oh, I forgot he was wearing a hoodie, too, or sweatshirt or whatever. It, it, it looks like Owen got to the building before Vader. It looks like Owen's wife had a child before Vader showed up. Did you see who one of the officials was to come out? No, who who was George the Animal Steel? Oh, very nice. Uh, yeah, I do remember seeing him. Now that you mentioned that, um, yeah. So that uh, anything else to add, Kevin? No, this was weird. <laughs> it was yeah. a weird, it was a weird ending. And then, well, 
we'll talk about them when we get there. There's more to this too. Cornette's all over this back half of this pay-per-view. So. Uh, but let's move on to the AOL room uh, where we have gold dust, uh, just petting an IT guy with Marlena um, holding the Intercontinental Championship. So uh, what did you guys think of the small segment? Uh, and do you, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad. They could get away with that today, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I know there was a lot of hype about Sonny and the most downloaded uh, girl for WWF, but man, Marlena, she'd only de- debuted the month prior, and my goodness, oh, she looked amazing. And having that Intercontinental title kind of like straddled across her waist, sitting next to uh, Goldust, who has kind of got his arms wrapped around that poor AOL guy, whispering whatever he was whispering in his ear. Yeah, uh, I had my eyes on Marlena most of that segment. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, it shows how successful it is already. Okay, the character just debuted. He already has better ring gear. He has the secondary title for WWF. You hired his wife to have to be this other character, you know, his manager character. Like, he's made in three, four months already. And then continues to go on to have, you know, this amazing career in WWF. Like, it was just... Uh, you, it's shocking he doesn't have a match on the card, but maybe it was no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta pay more money. See, Goldust, he's a star. Goldust is actually in the dark match main event against the Undertaker. That's what he was he was doing. So he did wrestle that night, just not on uh, television. But why don't we move into the next match, um, which is Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart for the spot at WrestleMania 12. Uh, of course, HBK won the Royal Rumble was going to complete the boyhood dream um and uh owen's trying to steal that from him uh, i guess we could start with uh hbk dancing on the roof of the on top house. of the house so here's the the entrance um so owen is coming to the ring he's already in his ring he's had his entrance and you hear the crowd starting to pop thinking that, oh, Michaels must be doing like a run into the ring and he's already going to enter and start attacking Owen. And instead, no entrance. And then the music goes off and you can see on top of the entrance, um, there's a shadow figure. It's Michaels. He's dancing on top of the set, on top of the roof of the house. And he's just dancing and dancing and dancing. And twisting and dancing. And it just keeps going and going. And you're like, okay, what's he going to do? Is he going to climb back down and then walk through the curtain? And then you see this rope next to where he's dancing. And you're like, okay, what's he going to do? And he proceeds to swing from the rope down to the aisleway. And the th- I just, I cannot believe like he would jeopardize his the plans he knows what the plans are going into wrestlemania i'm sure when he swings down and then is like okay i'm at the lowest point where i need to let go he drops like eight feet and lands on his feet how Mm. he did not blow out an ankle a knee break a leg it's just that is just a crazy crazy spot that I can't believe he would even consider jeopardizing that uh, a potential injury for an in your house uh, for for you know knowing what the plans are I'm sure coming in the future for WrestleMania. One of the things that um, a lot of people fail to remember, or maybe just because they weren't around 
during the time and got to appreciate is my gosh, Owen Hart, what an amazing in-ring competitor this guy is. He, I, I can't think of a bad match he's truly had uh, with anybody during his career. You know, he, he's doing the heel run where he's the sniveling younger brother of Bret Hart. And, you know, he's already had the feud with Bret over the WWF championship and so on. And then unfortunately, he, you know, he didn't win the title. But, you know, we're, we're so used to the sniveling, backstabbing, heelish persona, but he had the in-ring capabilities to kind of back it up. The, the, the start of the match, or near the start of the match, Michaels had an amazing high cross body uh, from the top rope to the outside floor onto Owen. At the beginning of the match, I thought that was a ridiculously high-risk maneuver. Uh, but Michaels landed it, and, and Owen sold it like crazy. Owen Hart's belly-to-belly suplex. I don't know if you guys caught that during the match. He, he was doing this run where th- the guys, would be, they'd be running ropes back and forth, and his opponent would go on the ropes, and Owen would catch him for a belly-to-belly. And it wouldn't be a, an actual throw. He would act, he captured the guy and do a twisting belly to belly suplex that looked like a throw. And he held on to the, to his opponent the entire way through. Absolutely. A thing of beauty. What's uh, just absolutely amazing. Love the commentary during the match. I love Lawler getting in his heel digs, still kind of throwing his barbs to the Hart family. But in this case, how finally Helen and Stu Hart have a son that they can be proud of in regards to Owen Hart and his capabilities. Uh, Great combination of back and forth uh, wrestling between these two. Uh, The Enziguri kick that hits Michaels, uh, that was the original December angle after the concussion or after the Survivor Series. Um, he already had the concussion that had put him out until WrestleMania. So Owen hits that enziguri during the match. Michaels luckily rolls out of the ring, and Owen Hart has to go pick him up. You know, ring psychology. I'm surprised Owen didn't like take the countout finish because I'm sure the a countout finish would have given him that championship match at WrestleMania. Uh, Owen bringing him back into the ring, going to hit that enziguri kick again. Uh, but ends up missing it, and then Michaels sets him up and hits that sweet chin music for the finish. One, two, three. Uh, Fantastic match between the two, I would honestly say, has to be the match of the night uh, for the entire card. Just like I said, the the crazy entrance at the beginning with swinging on the rope and just cringeworthy. I just just saw uh, a Sid Vicious leg break happening in that fall and i'm just shocked that there wasn't some kind of injury or at least a rolled ankle out of all that it was just crazy i'm wondering if maybe there was <clears throat> something got tied up with the rope sean was too high on it um you know it got wrapped around something like i i i gotta imagine they tested it out once before fans were in the building and he was not up that high but once you're there, what are you going to do? Wait for them to bring over, you know, like a step stool or something for right. you? Like he had he had to jump once he was there. He was coming right. to it. If you look um, at the rope, though, it looks like there was a loop tied at the bottom. I, I maybe I'm, I'm maybe was just looking at it wrong. It almost looks like there was a loop where he should have put one of his feet in. And that was supposed to be what he kind of rode down to the spot. But I mean, the length of the rope versus the height of the house. I don't think it would have been like a safe plummet 
for him to yeah. have ridden at the bottom of the rope. You can tell when he grabbed the rope, there was so much more slack on the bottom of the rope that, you know, the thought was, well, yeah, the rope's long enough for him to hit the floor, but just the amount of space for where he was jumping from to the area for him to swing down. Yeah, it would not have ended well had he been at the much lower portion of the rope. But it was just such an unsafe spot, and I'm just, I, I'm, I'm happy that nothing came of it. I mean, he he let go, and then he just starts dancing right in the aisle way as if nothing had happened. But man, just a lot of caution uh, should have been paid to that. And I'm wondering if he got chewed out afterwards by backstage producers or whomever for the height that well, you know falling. Like, even if he landed on the house setup on the steps on the little flower garden thing or whatever, that would have been higher up. Right. I mean, who knows? Um, you see, you see Vince McMahon trying to control the narrative already here because Shawn Michaels' fans are his clique. Are the clique. Did you see the oh, sign in the crowd post match? Shawn's clique now and forever yeah. or no expiration or something like that? So so when you hear these guys talking about the click, they're not talking about this group backstage that seems to be having some pull and some control and all. They're talking about Sean's fans, of course. Of course, that's the click we're talking about. What else could it possibly be? Um, apparently, Sean Michaels is at the NBA Jam, uh, as, as Vince pointed out on the announcing. They had just... He said, uh, you may have seen Sean at the NBA Jam this past week or something like that. Oh, it might have been. I wonder if it was like All-Star Weekend and they were doing like the slam dunk competition or something. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Because, I mean, it, it's it's so clear from this match, Sean's the guy. This is where we're going for, you know, the next year or two. Like, it is so obvious from everything in the match. The It's a good match. It's a very good match. I wish I could have seen it the way I saw it then because we know how Sean's career went, but this was his first major match back after they made us all believe that Owen knocked him out again and caused, you know, more damage after the Syracuse incident. Cause you're watching this and every headshot he takes, and especially that in Zaguri, every fan is like, Oh my God, he's done. That's it. Sean Michaels is done. His career is over. Like the drama in it that we, that we don't have watching it now because we know how the story ends, but they didn't know at the time. Sean absolutely wrestling as a heel, but he's the baby face. But a lot of stuff he does is a heel style. But because he's a good guy, it's getting over and all. But it's the same style. It's just it was real interesting to to see it. Yeah, uh fans absolutely don't think. Uh great spinning heel kick. They're just just great wrestling in the match. Shawn Michaels cocky as hell. Mm-hmm. Like he knows he's the man right now. And does not care. <laughs> he is just full of himself. And I mean, that that's who he was. And that's who we all love to watch. But, jeez, it's crazy seeing it now. Super kick for the pin. And, uh, like any celebration, a uh, random kid runs into the ring. Let's talk about that celebration, guys. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was creepy as hell, in my opinion. Wasn't it? Wasn't it inappropriate? Only because he's, like, trying to... He has the kid kiss Just him on the lips. On the like, he's like, yeah. here, kiss me on the lips three times. Yeah, it was very cringeworthy. And then also, too, I want to point out the uh, the click membership sign is the fans in neon that are like at the front row and all the still to this day. Uh, the, the husband and, and wife, I think it is, that go to WrestleManias and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So just, but yeah, just very creepy. The whole dancing with the 
the child, like, yeah, your child comes to the ring. Yeah, I, I know that's what they've been doing, but to make them kiss you, it's just really weird. It's not necessary whatsoever. So, so moving on, number one, before we get to the interview segment, I miss them bringing out the cage and setting it up so much. I didn't realize that mm-hmm. until I'm like, oh man, look at, they're bringing out, uh, they're bringing out the blue. So what, what did you guys think of that? Um, obviously as they're bringing it up, I mean, logistically when you got to set it up and do all this sort of stuff, um, they, they went to that interview segment to kind of take your mind off it, but Man, I, the lowering of the cage, yeah, whatever, it's fun. But I really do miss them coming out with the blue pieces and putting it together. I, I miss this particular type of steel cage. I really do. And maybe it's because of the memories I have of watching the matches from the mid-80s and early 90s that the, the steel cage matches were, were common with uh, for this. But, yeah, you know, giving them time to set up the cage, it kind of, like, made you think about how important this match is and they're reinforcing the ring and getting the match ready to go and getting the cage all set up. Yeah. The old big blue eight panel cage. Definitely, definitely miss uh, the old school cage. Now, now Matt, do you know when they switched over to the chain link? They had the, they had the blue at, at uh, Valentine's day massacre. That was the one of the last shows. So that would have been 98, I believe, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So they definitely used the big blue cage uh, in the garden for the Mankind Hunter Hearst Helmsley match at SummerSlam. And they ended up going back and forth between big blue and then the wired mesh uh, cage. I know Bret Hart had a steel cage match against Isaac Yankum in 95 on Raw. And that was the one where Lawler was suspended over the ring in that smaller cage, and Lawler got that nosebleed. Uh, I remember that angle. Um, so I, I think it was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, I think that was the last main televised pay-per-view cage match or Raw. Um, they may have had some house show matches where that cage was just in the area and they used that. But I believe that St. Valentine's Day Massacre with McMahon versus Austin. And you remember they, they ended up painting the cage black. And if you really look at the big blue cage, it was it was in rough shape for this particular match. There were scrapes all over it and paint missing all over. So, yeah, it definitely needed some touch-ups. Kevin, do you remember? Does that sound about right? Yeah. Um, double back for a moment. Uh, right before the interview segment, the, while they're setting up the cage, which I'll discuss in a minute, uh, we hear all about how great WWF is with quotes from a newspaper. Uh, there's a little promo that newspapers, the journal Inquirer, which is a local tabloid in Connecticut, which is where WWF's home is. So it's pretty much like, you know, let's say something nice about our neighbor. Yeah. Soft propaganda kind of deal. Yeah. Now the cage, um, I like the first time I really remember seeing it was renting WrestleMania two VHS because that ends with Bundy and Hogan in the big blue cage. Um, they did the cage for uh, Brett versus Sid. Uh, March 17th, 1997 in Syracuse for Raw. Uh, so seeing the cage brought out, being there live, is like, oh, that's how they do it. Okay, wow, cool. And this thing's huge. But you see NWA cages, and it seemed those were more dangerous. That's a real cage. It's chain link and all that looks that, that looks more deadly that looks like someone's actually going to get busted open something could happen where wwf seemed like kind of safe and 
and cartooning. You got these big holes that you can get the camera through and all. Until I saw this cage come out. And like you're saying, with it looking beat up and all, this looks like you would get hurt more hurt in this cage than any other cage I've seen. This just looks like you're on like an abandoned construction site and no one's going to come help you. <laughs> this looks horrible in a good way. Like, I mean, like I'm watching it going, I can't believe both of these men leave this match without blood issues at least. And it's crazy to think too, because the big blue is has less give than right. the, the chain link ones. I mean, isn't that, the reason I've always heard was that Hogan, it's easier for Hogan to climb these ones than the chain link one, right? Well, the Hellions made mention one of the reasons they had transitioned, because prior to the Big Blue, they had the typical mesh steel cage like the old NWA, and they wanted to set themselves a little bit apart. So part of it was you know, being able to shoot through the bars of the cage for the match rather than having a cameraman in the ring, which was common for NWA to have somebody in the ring. But secondly, um, they debuted that big blue cage at the WrestleMania two. And a lot of it was not only Hogan, but Hogan being able to climb up the cage and pose, but Bundy being able to climb the cage and chase mm-hmm. after Hogan when Hogan was being able trying to escape. So they wanted something that was a little bit more sturdier, easier to climb. I mean, if you think about, I mean, think of the original hell in the cell matches and over time, how it's almost like a, a, a running joke that they'd cut footholds in the mesh so that the rest, it's easier for them to climb up to the top of the cage. Whereas if you see Foley and Undertaker in their Hell in the Cell match, which was the second match, how much both Undertaker and Foley struggled climbing to the top of the cage. So then from there, they ended up cutting holes in the mesh. So the old Big Blue kind of helped in doing different spots. Uh, for the matches where it made it easier for guys to climb up the cage, which certainly we saw for the upcoming match between Brett and Diesel. I wonder if it was um, for toys, too. The the big rubber WWF figures were out at the time. You yeah, know, the L-Tans, like, oh, absolutely. Mom, yeah, Mom, I need, a, I need a steel cage set. Oh, well, all right, well, I can cut you chicken wire to put around your ring, make you a steel cage. No, 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 I need this blue thing. Right. Oh, well, geez, we got we got to buy that toy, I guess. I don't yep. have anything that's going to look like that at home. And they even had slots, and for that WWF LJN ring with the cage, they had slots where you would stick this little um, little bar through, little plastic that would hold your wrestler, so you could be like wrestling with your hands outside of the cage, but you know, almost have like it's like almost like a set of tongs or tweezers that you're holding your bigger LJN wrestler with, and you can grapple with them through the bars of the cage. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see that cage being a lot more, uh, you know, appealing for the toy market. So to, so to take some time while they're actually doing the cage, uh, we have a, a nice little interview segment. Uh, Todd Pattengale with Roddy Piper, um, and he's he's now the president or TV president of the WWF. And he's out to set up Yoko versus Vader at Mania um, and just kind of talk about just random stuff just to kind of waste time. And, of course, we get uh, Corny and Clarence Mason come out. Uh, number one, you alluded to it earlier, Mr. Educator, that Yoko and Vader never happens at Mania. Why is that? And uh, what did you think of the segment? They They ended up... They did end up having a one-on-one match, and we'll eventually get to it in a future uh, In Your House uh, podcast. 
Um, I just think at the time when the 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 intended plan for Mania um, and uh, with all of the bodies involved, the we had a, a returning wrestler from the past. We've got kind of a newer guy, big guy on the block with Ahmed Johnson, Jake the Snake Roberts return. Um, I, I, I'm sure that the intended plan was to do the one-on-one at Mania, but then you also had these other four guys that were significant parts of the roster and what what to do with them. So they ended up doing a six-man cluster at Mania, which is unfortunately it's sad to think about Vader's first WrestleMania match was a, a, a six-man tag. Uh, in a future uh, uh, in your house, we'll get to it. There was a one-on-one match between Vader and Yokozuna, and it was a very disappointing match. So that's probably why they realized mm, there weren't going to be too too many legs, literally legs, on this uh, this feud going forward, given Yokozuna's weight issues and declining health. So, what did you think of the talking segment with Piper? I mean, Piper to me was was pretty good. Him and Corny, um, as you said, Corny's always shining when he's on TV. Um, so, so what was your thoughts on this? I mean, Court, Piper and Cornette both sell it. Piper's doing great. Um, I, I mean, all I had to do was click, you know, another button on WWF, or sorry, WWE Network, and I could have watched that mania. But I was ready to order it based off of Piper's hype. Like, he did a great job. He should have been on every commercial, every, like, pre-show, whatever, just to get you to order that show. Cornette came out. I forgot Clarence Mason was with Cornette at the time. Like, he came out during the Yoko Bulldog schmaz at the end. But I couldn't tell if he was coming out as a random official in the back or as part of Camp Cornette. And and that's just silly with Cornette and Piper. It's, It's good, but it's just, you know, silly at that point. They did such a great job of hyping things up throughout this show. Mm-hmm. There was the, the the hype video to start the show. We got all caught up. Here's a hype video for Mania. Like, I, I was ready. And if they had done this all year, like, it, I would have been ready for every show. I, I would have made my plans to watch every show immediately just because of how much they're putting into it. Like, it was, it, it was just fun. And then once the cage gets set up and the segment is over, we get our main event of the night, which is Diesel versus Bret Hart in the cage. Uh, And of course, what I consider one of the greatest endings to a match in WWF, WWE history. I love this ending, but this this match to me was sucked i mean the crowd is completely dead through it too um did you what what was your guys analysis of this uh you know i the talking about the nostalgia with the big blue cage and you know you thinking about amazing uh, amazing matches that you reminisce on um for me personally hogan versus orndorff on saturday night's main event in the big blue cage that where they both land supposedly at the same time that was an amazing match, uh, or at least I have fond memories of that with the Big Blue Cage. The Saturday Night's main event with Hogan versus the Boss Man, and you guys remember Zeus being outside of the ring, not yep. letting Hogan get into the match, and Zeus doing the double, the the double strike on his trap muscles to before he enters. Um, I, I mean, even um, Mankind and Triple H at that SummerSlam the following year. I mean, just. I, I have fond memories of that match. The actual in-ring work, like nothing at all stands out about 
this particular cage match. It, it was all other than the finish, which you said, and the finish was absolutely great. Um, you know, there were a couple of moves in the match that looked very, very crisp. Uh, Bret Hart, when he gets thrown into the corner, sternum first and smashes into that corner like he's getting murdered. Um, the first one, oh my goodness, again, it was sounded like a shotgun blast when he ended up hitting that corner pose or that corner buckle. The uh, the moves of doom that Bret Hart is known for leading towards his sharpshooter finish. The side Russian leg sweep. He hits that on Diesel. It looked amazing. Uh, he ends up climbing to the top rope as opposed to the middle rope. And uh, pretending to escape, he kicks Diesel down and ends up hitting his elbow instead of off the second rope, off of the top rope. Uh, that looked amazing. The, the match finish... Um, and I've had an opportunity, and I'm sure it, you guys have perhaps seen some You Shoot series and all that. Uh, Kevin Nash has actually been very, very critical of the finish of the match and the what he wanted to see happen versus what ended up happening were two completely, completely different things. You know, in the end, the whole point was we knew it was going to be Sean versus Brett and um, Undertaker versus Diesel at WrestleMania. And the finish that happened with Brett trying to escape over the top over the top rope, climbing over the cage, Diesel doing the low blow to Brett, and then Brett ends up crotching himself onto the ropes, and then Diesel slowly uh, crawls to the corner uh, to escape the cage. That wasn't actually Diesel's what what Diesel wanted to do to finish the match. Diesel wanted to finish the match with a jackknife powerbomb. And then he was going to stroll to the corner and try to escape the cage. And then the shenanigans of the finish were going to end up happening. And while Brett was, uh, or while Diesel was going through his finish, Brett was going to climb over the top of the cage. But the, the low blow and the crotching, it, it, I guess it just, to me, it just didn't have as great of a, an effect towards the finish. But absolutely, the, the unforeseen finish at the very end with The Undertaker being involved, absolutely fantastic. See, now I really, I end up really enjoying the match. Um, Diesel standing there waiting for Brett to come out, and Diesel just in the corner, raising his arms up and touching the top of the cage. I was like, that just looks frightening. That looks like a monster movie right there. That just looks scary. And I, I wish it would have been like a better angle for someone having like a real cool atmospheric black and white picture, something like that just looked dominant. Um, the the cage just how how rickety and dirty and shaky and like every time they they slammed against it you thought it would pop out and land on the audience i just felt added like a real sense of danger to the match brett is great because brett's always great despite what other people on this show may have said before diesel's doing great work as a heel going into this undertaker feud he he looks like a, a big jerk bully of a character and I'm loving it. I really enjoy the match. And like Educator was saying for uh, Diesel and Brett arguing the finish, apparently Brett didn't want to take finishers two pay-per-views in a row because he faced Undertaker at the Rumble. And then look weak, especially as a champion, especially going to, into WrestleMania. So he refused to take a finisher again because he was worried it would hurt his character and he'd look weak. And I guess Diesel argued with it, lost the argument, and that night went to 
razor, Scott Hall, who was already one foot out the door and said, I'm coming too. Right. So, I mean, now I've got a debate. The more we're seeing stuff, all right, Brett did this and Sean did this. And we have, you know, this story and that story. Now I'm like, if Brett and Sean could have gotten along or if everyone could have had lesser egos and just been like, all right, it's my, it's my time to take a hit. Now you'll take the hit next, whatever. We're all together. Does anyone leave for WCW? If everyone just could have been calm and chill and on the same page and not let the egos get involved. Does anyone leave? I, I don't think it was I ego. Think- I, I don't, I, it's money. Scott Hall has made it very, very clear that, you know, he, he, he asked Vince multiple times, hey, what am I doing wrong? What can I do to improve myself? You know, and, and in the end, Scott Hall was looking for more money. I mean, he even talked about moving the decimal point over in merch sales for a couple more percent. And, and Vince wasn't willing to budge. And it, 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 in the end, it was money. And it was crazy money that was thrown towards those guys to get them to not resign and then jump over to WCW. I don't. I, I think that the ego stuff and the backstage. I mean, and and they were the problems. Well, that's hard to say that they were the problems. They were a part of the big backstage turmoil stuff going on um, that contributed to the frustrations that many many had. Um, but again. In the, it, it's all about the dollar bill and setting up for financial stability in the future. That's my take. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's just, you know, because like Shawn Michaels never left, Triple H rises up, Undertaker never left. Like, it's just a shame because you got everyone here. Everyone's already here. But you just, you know, they can't get along and you can't offer enough money. So it, it goes away. But it's just, you know, I'm, I'm seeing stuff. I'm like, what could have been? And to think, too, that, you know, in a month, you're going to lose half of this roster that's on this paper. No. is crazy. And then but but we get to look forward to uh, because the curtain call will be happening pretty soon. We get to look forward to that uh, Triple H um, hog pen match. So. Oh, right. Right. Because it takes place after because he, yeah, he was punished. He gets punished yeah. for it. So, so he gets punished for it. So we haven't actually really talked about the ending of the cage match. So, Mr. Library, why don't you um, tell us kind of what what goes down? So Diesel's got Brett down. Diesel's just dragging himself to to exit the ring to go through the door of the cage. It doesn't look like Brett's going to get to him in time. And all of a sudden you're like, Diesel stopped. Why the heck's he stopped? I can't really tell what's going on, but there's something going on there. It's Brett's arm, it's Brett's leg. It's Diesel. What the heck's going on? And then this hole gets bigger, and you realize it's the Undertaker ripping through the canvas, coming up from underneath the mat, and pulling Diesel down, which is amazing. And Brett just sees it and goes, nope, I'm out, and climbs out of the cage and gets out of there and wins the match. Um, smoke, fire extinguisher, whatever comes up through the hole, and then Diesel pops back up, just looking scared to death, gear all torn up, and just frightened. And then it, it, it's stunning. It's crazy. So well His wrestling gear shredded. His entire right pant leg from like mid thigh all the way down, completely torn up. Like you can see his knee pads that he's wearing underneath his his leather pants gear, and completely spooked. And Diesel 
when Taker's head comes up through the hole and he starts working his way into the ring, I've never seen Diesel move that fast, let alone climb out over a cage. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it, it's crazy. It's crazy to see him tear his ring gear and not a quad. So. Uh, apparently Kevin Nash pitched that when he comes back out his, He should have a streak of white in his hair Like he saw a ghost and got scared And they nixed it saying it sounded too cartoony I, I would have lost my, my mind if they did that though It just would have been fun I mean I remember watching it as a kid and being blown away And I'm still blown away by it I mean, It's still awesome It's, no, so, it's, a great it's, finish. it's so God. well done it's, it's just so well done Well I think that Ends the pay-per-view, right? Did I forget anything? There was yep. no in-your-house extra no, on this. No, feed. no extra whatsoever. So why don't we rank this, okay? We'll start at the bottom, of course, doing our scientific me- method, working our way to the top. So in-your-house six, is this better than in-your-house two? Absolutely. Two the, the Lumberjacks. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Is it better than in-your-house four? Great White North. I would say absolutely. That would be the uh, Diesel Bulldog finish, right? Correct. Diesel Bulldog oh, finish. Yeah. I would say that this was better, yes. Yep, agreed. All right. And then does it go? is it better than In Your House 1, the first one, the one we were, we were at? This is right about where I am. It's either going to be right before it or right after it. I, I, I'm still going to hold on to In Your House 1 as being uh, in the number three spot. Uh, o- only, only because of how dead the – I mean – Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels was a fantastic match, but after that match and then the Cornette and Roddy Piper interview, the crowd was just absolutely dead. The finish to the cage match was great, but the crowd just absolutely killed uh, the the pay-per-view finale, the finish here. Um, uh, You know, uh, Treats, you're going to have to jump in here. I'm going to put it ahead because I I actually really, crowd be damned, actually really enjoyed the Brett Diesel match, and I love the ending. All right. I mean, that's where it stops. As the deciding deciding factor. Thank you. I appreciate this. Better than the Syracuse event. Here's why. Viewer discretion is advised Sonny's on it. It's the only reason. There it is. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty close. They're pretty close in match qualities. I uh, got to see the cage. Um, of course, the HBK Owen uh, was an excellent uh, match as well. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just really, Crybaby match, not that it was good, but memorable. Something, I mean, growing up, I loved it. And, and then there's I, I parts just of it that were good. good. Yeah. So I would put it before that, but there's no way it's beating three and five. No. Agreed. Yeah. So that'll be ranked number three. Now, before we go, guys, I want to play a little game with you, okay? Oh, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the House Show Game Show. It's time for the House Show Game Show. Finally presented by the Retro Network. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all across the world, let's welcome to the stage your host with the most. He's more essential than your breakfast toast. He's definitely not one to boast because his last girlfriend straight up ghosted him. Then any food in sight he would eat. He is Mr. Agony of Defeat. Mr. Give me some ice cream and sweets to fill the void of being emotionally incomplete. He is Mr. Smiling Through the Pain. Mr. Can't Complain. He is Mr. Maddie Treats. 
thank you guys for that wonderful applause. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, welcome to the House Show Game Show. Uh, as the introduction says, I am your host, Maddie Treats, um, and I'm here with a couple of contestants. Contestant number one, he is known as the educator of excellence. Mr. McCarthy. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Mr. McCarthy, how are you today? How are you today? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, I'm I'm welcome. I'm welcome. I thank you for being here. All right. Contestant number two. He is known as the Mass Library. He is known as the president of Team Hellions. He is Kevin Hellions. Mr. Hellions, how are you doing this evening? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, been a long time watcher of the show it's thrilled to have on uh, i've had the board game at home for years uh and i just feel honored to be on here well, well thank you for that we we appreciate you you know really making dreams come true by having you come on the show that's what we do here we're dream we're dream makers of coming true big bucks no slammies there you go big bucks big bucks no slammies love it i love it um let's do you guys are you guys probably want to know what you're playing for today don't you yes please always all right, let's announce the prizes. Take it away. Let's tell the contestants what they're playing for. Today's contestants on the House Show Game Show are playing for a litany of prizes. First is the one-size-fits-two sweatshirt. You and your loved one can be cuddled up on the couch and stretch out an all-over-print sweatshirt of your favorite wrestler. Decide from The Undertaker, The Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, Brett the Hitman Hart, and the soon-to-be-leaving Big Daddy Cool Diesel. But... But wait, there's more. You don't have a loved one, you say? Well, guess what? Today, you will win your choice of a partner. That's right, a partner. You will win the model Wendy, a small child from the audience. Or wait, wait, we we can't give away a human being? Never, never mind. Today's contestants are only playing for a beautiful one-size-fits-two sweatshirt. We never had any other gifts available. No other prizes. I swear on my life. Now, I will be leaving so I don't get arrested. Back to you. So what do you guys think of the prizes? Uh, Mr. Educator, are you excited? Oh, baby. What are you Let's gonna do this. With, what are you going to do with the prize if you win? Oh, I think I'm, we're going to reminisce. We're going to put it on the shelf with all my other Hasbros. And uh, we're going to reminisce about this opportunity to go all the way, baby. All right, Mr. Library, what will you do with the prize? Uh, I, I'm already planning how to rearrange my house to display it prominently and uh, debating a trip to uh, Lowe's or Home Depot to get something that truly will honor this prize. Gotta get a detolf. Come on. All right, guys. So as you guys are aware of the the house show game show, the rules are very simple. I will ask three questions about the previous pay-per-view that we watched, which was in your house six rage in the cage. Okay. Three questions. The answers are numbers. You then have to put the numbers in order from least to most. Okay. Least to most. Everyone understand. Least to most. Okay. Uh, Mr. Uh, Hellions, do you understand? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. You will get 45 seconds to figure out the answers. Okay. So your three questions are. Question number one. Now, no answers. You will get 45 seconds, and then I will give each of you guys a chance to answer the question. If you guys get it right, you share the prize. If not, 
Obviously, if someone wins, they win and the other person loses. Okay, we mock the other person. <laughs> Question number one. How many shirts is Roddy Roddy Piper wearing during his interview? Okay. Question number two. The amount of times Duke the Dumpster Drossi's name is being worn on his clothing. Okay, you guys, I see you guys are thinking. And number three, the amount of minutes, and yes, you can round up or down, the amount of minutes the sleeper hold is put on in the uh, one, two, three kid Razor Ramon match. Now that you guys have your three uh three questions we will give you 45 seconds to think about it all right both the gentlemen are currently doing the math in their head they're struggling a little it looks like the educator though is is using common core so we we will see how that plays out the mass library is just using toes and fingers he's using all of his extremities so we'll see if that helps him you can see the beads of sweat coming down their foreheads I don't know if that's from the math questions or if it's because they both are thinking of how many shirts Roddy Piper is wearing maybe they're undressing him who knows but let's go back to the show all right we will start with the educator all right educator what is the order of the answers for the questions basically three four five three three minutes of a sleeper hole okay four shirts okay and five times jerosi or duke appears on his gear okay mr hellions what is yours Two for Roddy. Four for Duke. Five for Kid and Razor. For the sleeper. I'm sorry. Both of you are wrong. Is it two, three, four? It's two, three, four. Both of you are wrong. It's two shirts. It's three for the sleeper. And it's four for Drosy. That is correct. It's two, three, four. Roddy Piper is wearing two button-down shirts, and neither one of them buttoned. Yeah, he had a, he had a white Oxford on, and then on top of that, like a pinkish red, yes. and then his leather jacket. Then his leather That's jacket, which, which he borrowed, which he borrowed from Vader earlier. Okay, right. uh, Duke the Dumpster Josie's name Dukes on four four times. They are located on the front pocket of the shirt. Says Duke. The back of his shirt says Duke the Dumpster. He takes that off on his singlet. He has he says Duke. Okay. The fourth time is on the hat when he's talking to Todd Pettengale before his match. It says Duke. <laughs> and then, of course, the sleeper hold went, as we said earlier, for two minutes and 40 seconds. You round up, that would be three minutes. So, uh, yeah, th- I'm very upset. None of you guys won the sweet prize. But You'll have to carry it over to the next one. There's always next time. I want to thank you guys for coming on the game show uh, or the house show game show. I appreciate it. That's about it. That's all I have. Mr. Educator, anything you want to say to the fans at home before we leave? Ah, oh, here we are into 
what are we, week six of social distancing at this point? By the time this airs, probably going to be week seven or almost week eight. Hope everybody is uh, staying safe, is applying common sense uh, to this. We will power through. We will get through this. We will get back to some kind of norm. Uh, the Retro Network, want to thank you for the opportunity for hosting our podcast. Uh, I, I love this opportunity to hang out with my two best friends and get to reminisce about wrestling from beyond the days of uh, when it was still real to us, damn it. And uh, again, I encourage anybody who has not checked out the Retro Network, there's so much amazing content that you guys should definitely take a second peek at and take a look at. Um, you will not be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, want to thank the Retro Network. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Maddie Treats. Uh, if you have any questions for the house show, please send them uh, to us, to myself or the Mast Library. Uh, we look forward to having you guys here for In Your House 7. Uh, In Your House 7, of course, is Good Friends, Better Enemies. And uh, the main event is Michaels versus Diesel. Uh, so we get to look forward to that. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I had. And I will pass it on to Mr. Mass Library to uh, take us home. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can find me all across the internet at Mass Library. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us and for allowing us a platform. Thank you to Richard Reader for the logo. Thank you to all of the listeners and uh, all the feedback we've been getting. It's been great. And thank you to everyone that's staying home with us, because the only way that we're going to get through all this is if we are chill and calm and collected and Bret Hart. Because if you want to go and be cocky and think that there's some other way out of this, just like Diesel, the only way out is going to be through The Undertaker. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say after that, guys. You're dancing with a child now. Make her kiss you. It's very awkward. Uh, Sonny, call me. Bye. Sonny, call me. You guys don't understand how good the game show is going to be. The music's fantastic. You also can't wait to hear the prize. The prize yeah, is what is the prize, man? We're about to talk about displaying it on shelving. Oh, yeah, yeah. You guys are way off. <laughs> 